Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hi, folks. It's Helia. This week, I wrapped up the 2020 Board Accelerator program. It was so great to spend a year with these groups of amazing women who shared, who supported, who problem solved, and who learned together. And I loved seeing them continue the discussion later in the week, continuing to connect and problem solve together in our WhatsApp group, even though the formal program has ended. That's what you get with the Board Accelerator program a year-long program with people just like you to support you. I'll share more of what they said soon. For now, I just wanted to invite you to come and join us for 2021. It's all via Zoom and there's a range of times so you can join us from wherever you are in Australia or indeed the world. Super early bird prices are on until the end of November. Link in the show notes or on my website. Head on over and have a look or get in touch if you want more information. I look forward to welcoming you to the group. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking to Lauren Harrell about getting on a board, governance challenges, and a great little process she has about lessons learned that might be applicable to some of the people listening and also some of the lessons she has learned from her lessons learned process. Lauren has served on a dozen advisory and non-profit boards, starting in her late 20s. She currently serves on an advisory board of a $12 billion publicly traded bank, as well as one of the Philadelphia's region's largest health and human services agencies. She's a qualified financial expert who builds and scales complex businesses through technology development. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Lauren. Thank you. So happy to be here. I should say we are recording this at the end of September. Lauren is in, you're in Philadelphia, aren't you, Lauren? Correct. Just outside of Philadelphia. Right. And I'm in Melbourne. So we are all still in global pandemic. So as I think I've mentioned on this podcast previously, I don't always date my episodes, but given what's going on in the world at the moment, I think it's worthwhile doing it because it is part of the frame for the conversation, I guess. But Lauren, before we get into talking about your process for lessons learned and some of the lessons you've learned from that, 
I would love to hear a little bit more about you. So can you tell me, what was your earliest experience of governance? Sure. So I joined my first board when I was in my late 20s. I was asked by a family friend to get involved in an organization that they were a part of that needed more financial oversight. And that really fit well with my background and my skill set. And I ended up on the board. I was you know, certainly one of the youngest members, if not the youngest member. And I believe I was one of the only females at the time on the board. And a couple months into this process, you know, having been there because I was asked to provide more financial oversight, I recall we were going through some third party vendor to do some sort of a study. And I recall that we had given the executive director a budget that he was not allowed to exceed. And I will never forget, you know, again, this is one of my first experiences in the boardroom. I'm young and I asked the difficult question and held the executive director accountable when he went over budget and didn't clear it with the organization and get the board's approval first. And I will never forget sitting next to the executive director and having him lean over and give me this look. (laughs) And I, at that point, I felt like, oh my gosh, maybe I said something wrong, but you know, everybody else was, was thinking the same thing, but I I actually had the courage to, to call him out on it in a very polite and collegial way. That was one of my first experiences in the boardroom was uh, holding the ED accountable for overspending on a budget that was approved by the board. Wow. So uh, that no doubt set you up for board roles of the future and asking those questions that are really important. And, uh, you know, obviously you've now really developed your board portfolio. And Lauren, I know as part of your board practice, I guess, for want of a better word, you kind of have a bit of a reflective practice around lessons learned. So I would love to hear more about that because I think it would be a useful practice for other directors that might be listening. So if you can take us through that lessons learned practice that you have and then maybe some of the lessons you have learned in recent times from your own reflective practice. Sure, absolutely. So I have a, a board journal for the lack of a better term and, you know, I'm not... I don't write confidential information or things like that that could be, you know, discovered, but I write down things like, here was a situation I encountered, here's what the results were, how could I have contributed in a more constructive way, or was I a part of the problem rather than a part of the solution? And so I try really hard to remove myself as best as I can from a situation and really reflect on, well, how did this go? And Was I really doing my job as a board member? Was there more that I could do? Are there questions that I should have asked, but I didn't? And so at the start of COVID, I I think, you know, and maybe it's important context for the listeners, I serve on a variety of boards from small community organizations to very large organizations with, you know, over a hundred million from a budget standpoint, ranging in food distribution organizations, healthcare organizations, human service organizations, hospitals. And so I've seen a very interesting variety of response during the pandemic. And there's been a ton of lessons learned. I think from a scale standpoint, I've noticed that, and I know this probably goes without saying, but executive management and the talent you have in the organization is so critical. And if you're coming into a crisis and you had some cracks in the foundation to begin with, and you've recognized that as a board, 
it is exacerbated tremendous amounts inside of a crisis like this. And I really started to see in some of my organizations really the pronouncement of, you know, we really need some new leadership. And so that was really interesting to watch. And things like scenario analysis or requesting additional information, some organizations really struggled with that. They were not able to produce the results that the scenario analysis that the board asked for. They had a really tough time envisioning what a new business model might look like. I mean, this was the ultimate disruptor. And in one of my organizations, the revenues completely went away. And so questions like, if we can't serve our mission, who are we and what do we become and how do we stay relevant? We're still struggling with some of those questions today. It's very, very challenging and very tough to pivot so quickly from a business model standpoint. Other organizations that have very strong executive leadership, they've been able to pivot very quickly. And the scenario analysis was very robust executive management was very forthcoming with regards to the challenges that they saw, very honest about, hey, we don't have all of the answers, but board members, we're looking for your input here, and we're looking for for partners in this process. So those are just kind of some of the the ranges of things that I've seen, you know, in particular with, with scenario analysis, I would say. A lot of board directors, a lot of boards, a lot of executive teams talking about scenario analysis at the moment. Can you just take us through what that actually means? Because I think we hear that a lot and it's an incredibly helpful tool for people to be using at the moment. Can you just take us through what it means? Sure, absolutely. So in one of my organizations, they were very thoughtful and detailed about how they approached it. And they actually used as a framework a McKinsey article that came out, oh gosh, I believe at the very early stages of the pandemic. And it had this grid that kind of showed here's what we expect the economy to do. It's an L-shaped recovery, you know, a U-shaped recovery. And, you know, here's what the policy response looks like. Here's what the local and national response looks like. Is it a, a resurgence or do we have, you know, one hit of COVID and then we kind of move on? And so there was this matrix of scenarios around that. And one was, I guess, for the lack of a better term, a best case scenario where, you know, strong public response or policy response, one time hit with COVID, no two spikes in there. The recovery was a V-shaped recovery. It was, it was robust. So that was kind of the best case scenario. And then we had worst case scenarios. And then we had two kind of middle of the road scenarios that were specific to the organization. And so what I thought was great that this board did is they were very thoughtful with that process, but then the board came in and we were asked to provide feedback on the scenarios themselves. So questions came up such as, why were these the particular factors that you focused on versus some others? What didn't make this list and why? The board's role was not to pick a scenario and say, we think it will happen this way. It was more around, if this scenario manifests itself, what is our response going to be? And so management pulled all of that forward and said, okay, in the worst case scenario, these are the four programs that we may wanna consider shutting down and moving in a different direction. If the scenario is the best case scenario, here's what we expect the funding streams to do and here's how it will impact programs. So it was a a non-emotional process, but we could see as a board 
what levers management was going to pull depending on what scenario manifested itself. So I thought that process was really well done. They engaged the board, I felt, in, in the right way in seeking our input and asking very specific questions so it didn't turn into a brainstorming session, which can be really challenging in normal times. But when you have no visibility and, and COVID clearly is very disruptive, that brainstorming session would not have been constructive. And also so unpredictable in a way. So, uh, you know, scenario planning is often around the unpredictable, but when it's so completely unpredictable, brainstorming isn't particularly helpful. Agreed. And, and the lesson that I learned there was to be very specific with our feedback as a board. And in future meetings, we provided feedback and said to the executive management, it was really helpful when you came to the table with two very specific questions and what you needed the feedback of the board to be. So I thought that was a really great practice that came out of that particular exercise. Fantastic. And I'll make sure I'll put a link to that McKinsey article in the show notes for people because I think that might be useful for people to have a look at as well. Absolutely. And maybe on the flip side, I saw using that same McKinsey article, I actually saw an organization really struggle with this process. Mm. And, you know, part of it was, I think executive management was having a very difficult time envisioning what these scenarios could be. They were very reliant on the board to create and craft some of these scenarios, which I did not feel, just my own personal opinion, didn't feel that that was the role of the board. I felt the role of the board at that time was to really pressure test the scenarios that were created by management because they know the business better than, than the board members do. And executive management really struggled. And it was a combination of maybe talent in the organization. And also this particular organization had a surge in services. So as some organizations were struggling with revenues and struggling delivering services, staying open, staying relevant, this organization it was a food distribution organization and the demand had almost doubled. And it was like Christmas day every day at this organization. So management was really pulled thin. The staff was pulled thin. Programs were being stressed. And then the board asked for the scenario analysis. And it was really tough to, to get management to focus on it. And I think there was kind of a breakdown there. So the lesson I learned there was to read the room a little bit better as, as a board member and try to empathize as best as you could with what was going on. You know, the staff was overworked, volumes were high. It, thankfully, a lot of money was coming in because of the donations and people wanting to help, but there was no time to focus on, on these things, which, you know, the board really struggled with. I mean, how much do you push management to really think so far ahead and do the scenario analysis versus having them focus on the here and now when volumes are so high and they really need to be there for the staff and help make sure that the culture is doing well, that the finances are being minded. It was, it was a really tough challenge. Yeah. And it often is, isn't it around, you know, thinking about culture and performance and accountability and all of those things, the board is responsible for leading those things. And, you know, the old saying, the tone is from the top around these things, but it's a finely tuned balance. In your reflection about that afterwards, you've said, you know, maybe a bit more empathy. Is there any other reflections you've got about keeping the balance right? 
I think something that has helped me in particular as a board member is I'm fairly close with the other board members and I know who are the individuals who will have an opposite viewpoint of me. And I tend to go to those people first. Mm. And so that's a practice that I've tried to continue and it's been really beneficial. So I might be viewing things through certain lenses. I know what those lenses are. I've actually, you know, written down in one of my board journal posts, you know, what are the lenses that I look through? I have a risk management background. I have a financial statement auditing background. I'm, I'm a woman, I'm a mom. So all of these things is how I view, view circumstances. And so I would like to go to somebody else who has a completely different set of lenses that they look through because I'm confident that I'm missing some angle. I don't know it all. None of the board members do. And so it's great to get the feedback and get the input from other people who just see things differently than I do. And so that's been something that has really been beneficial, especially with, with COVID is we, we are all experiencing, you know, the disruption on our lives, certainly, but we're looking at this as board members in different ways. Mm. And so that's a practice and a lesson learned that, that I continue to do to this day. So again, it's an, it's an interesting reflection and yet again, a kind of reinforcement, I guess, in a way of how important diversity in the boardroom is. A hundred percent. I think I heard there what you, you've spoken to board members outside the boardroom, which I think is is a great way. We hear it consistently from people who are on this podcast about building those relationships, keeping those relationships, the offline conversations, and I mean offline in the old way about having conversations outside the boardroom rather than non-virtual. How does that play out in the boardroom? It's interesting. I think that you know, at least the individuals that I've worked with, and I've been so fortunate to work with so many fantastic board members. I think we all recognize when we get into the boardroom, I wouldn't call it overly formal because I don't believe any of the boards that I'm on are so strictly formal, but there is a respect for the boardroom process, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I think that that it manifests itself in that way where we're, we all realize that we're friendly outside of the boardroom, but we know when we get to that table, we all understand what our focus needs to be and what our role is. And so because we know each other so well, I know that I can kick it across the table to somebody who is going to be a dissenting opinion at the table. And we all know that that's okay. Mm. And I think that's really important that we don't, because we know folks so well, it's not taken personally. It's you representing your diverse perspective. And that's why we have diverse people at the table. So I I think it works out really well. So we've talked about talent. uh, We've talked about scenario planning. We've even talked about diversity in the boardroom. For this period, or indeed from your practice of lessons learned, are there any other themes that have arisen that you can share with the Take On Board community? Oh, gosh. I, I would say that you know, one of my organizations coming into the the crisis was, you know, a more community-based organization. And we had a brand new executive director just finding their footing. And they were starting out right at the beginning of COVID. And one of the lessons learned from that was how important CEO or executive director onboarding is mm-hmm. and getting that individual up to speed developing those great relationships with board members and board members knowing what their role is. Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening with this smaller organization, which is really interesting because we had a new executive director, 
you know, board members want to help, right? Especially in nonprofit organizations, you have a heart for the mission, you all want to roll up your sleeves. Sometimes it can lead to board members being a little more into the weeds, a little more operational than is maybe required for the role. However, because you're bringing in a new executive director, you're trying to kind of envelop them with what the history of the organization is, how we're trying to move forward, the vision, and then COVID hits, right? So the process of board members stepping out and allowing the executive director to more fully own their role, it wasn't a transition that happened as quickly as maybe I would have liked to see. So my reflections were, and my lessons learned would be, you know, making sure that there is a very clear cut onboarding plan for an executive director, crisis or otherwise, and really try as best as you can to stick to that and know when board members or the executive committee needs to take a step back and let the executive director take over because Mm -hmm. the blurring of those two can create some real issues. And so I would say that's that's a big lesson learned from from a CEO executive director transition that was recent. And in that, you're talking about the onboarding process. Can you just take us through what the steps for that are? Because again, I think that would be valuable for others that are listening about what your experience or framework might be for that onboarding. Sure. In an ideal world where there's no COVID, <laughs> you would hope to you know, review strategic plans. You would hope to obviously go through finances, understand what roles the employees have, make sure that they are still performing the roles that they need to perform. Um, Taking a look at what the vision of the organization is. Do you need to change the name? Do you need to rebrand? Do you need to do other things because the CEO heralds a new era of the organization? That could be. So you have those types of things that that could land on, you know, a one, three, six month type of a, a time horizon. And so where we were at in the process was really trying to get, you know, employee roles defined, getting review processes down, metrics and board reporting, the executive director understanding kind of the strengths of the board, who had what skill sets understanding the committee structure and how the board operated. So that's kind of where we were at when COVID hit. Obviously, it would have been great to finish the strategic plan, to talk about rebranding, talk about our position in the community or, you know, diversifying our revenue streams, things of that nature. And we did, it just happened all at once. (laughs) So it wasn't as as well planned out as, as we had hoped, but Know, necessity is the mother of invention and you know the organization certainly came up with some very creative ways to to move forward and stay relevant during the crisis. Yeah it's an interesting period I think being in a crisis whatever that crisis might be at the moment it's COVID but uh, it does really bring around a whole range of innovation and creativity around things and you know sometimes it would be nice to just have business as usual and not have to be as creative and as innovative as we need to be but also sometimes it brings around some really interesting different ways of doing things that are helpful into the future. Have there been any of those things that you've observed in any of your boards? So I would say it's it kind of rhymes with maybe what we're seeing in in the virtual environment where you have an organization that has relied on ticket sales, being in person, doing big events, whether it's galas or beer fests or something of that nature, you just can't do those things anymore. And so how do you 
how do you still get revenue in the door? And so, you know, this organization changed one of their outdoor venues to be a virtual event. And they're really trying to leverage social media, which has been fantastic. You know, we have a specific dedicated hashtag and we're encouraging people to partake, but in a different way, this type of an event, but do it in their backyard. And so we're encouraging people to share with us what your backyard brew fest stories are. What recipes are you making? Are you, do you have friends over? Where are you in your, in your beer tasting? Are you doing this or are you doing that? You know, post on social media. And I, and I think that we're getting a lot of momentum for things like that. One of the other organizations that I'm with, they do a house tour around the county every single year. And this year was the 80th year. And so they're calling it the 70, 79 and a half year anniversary. So I think they're gonna they're gonna punt to next year to do the 80th. But what they've done is they've gone around and videotaped the homes. They've created these great narratives. They've done these slideshows. They've given you menus from some of the restaurants that normally cater these events. And they've made it this whole month long virtual experience. And every week you get something in your inbox and you can virtually tour the county through this whole process. And so stuff like that, I think has been, has been really creative. I've enjoyed it. Um, definitely looking forward to having more, you know, quote, normal events in the future, but it's, it's been interesting to see how people have taken these events and, and really turn them into a meaningful virtual experience, which I would have never thought would be possible, but, you know, here we find ourselves doing it, you know, pretty frequently now. I just had a um, one of my events this morning, which is now a virtual event, and it's fascinating now that some of the, one of the um, guests there gave me feedback that, you know, she's in a regional area and now gets to participate in these events. People from interstate, from overseas, even this conversation that you and I are having, we still probably would have been introduced in a pre-COVID world, but it just people are so much more open to having it from one side of the world to the other in this uh, environment where we're all so much more used to the virtual platforms that we are using literally every day. Every day. And I have to say, you know, for me personally, you know, when you're talking about getting onto a board and, you know, the common over and over emphasis is network, network, cultivate relationships. And personally speaking, this has been some of the richest relationship building I think I've ever had in my professional career. And there is a leveling that's kind of happened as we're not all in the same boat. We're in different boats, but we're floating in the same ocean, right? Some of us are in rowboats and we're just trying to, you know, bail out water. Some of us are in luxury cruise liners, but you know, we all have this experience and we can talk about it and it's lowered some of the formalities. I can ask people, you know, how are your parents doing? How are your kids doing? How is school going? And you're relating to people on such a deeper level. And I think that that, I hope that this type of networking and relationship building really kind of carries forward. I, I just think that it's just allowed for much richer conversations. And most of the time, we're not talking about board stuff. I could be talking to a Fortune 100 director. I might talk with them five minutes about what they're doing in the boardroom, asking them what their lessons learned are. But then we're talking about other things. And, and hopefully they're getting a good sense or a good feeling from that conversation and getting to learn about who I am as a person and what I bring to the table from a soft skills standpoint. And then I'm learning about them and what's important to them and how I can be of use to them in the future. 
Absolutely. I mean, anybody who knows, has listened to this podcast, been to my events, people know that networks and connections are very dear to me and to building those with others and building that community. And likewise, I, on one of the boards that I'm on, our board had a conversation recently about missing that interaction with the executive members that we get before and after meetings. So we decided that if there was an opportunity to ring one of the members of the exec rather than just emailing, we would do that. So I did that the other day. I had a very simple question that could have easily been emailed, but I chose to pick up the phone. And because everyone's at home at the moment and working from home, I'm like, where are you? And it turns out that she and I grew up in a similar area. So we had this whole conversation about that, which we never would have had in the hallway in the workplace. So it does give an opportunity for some of those deeper connections. Absolutely. And I find myself asking, do you want to do a call or a Zoom? Because I'm trying to be sensitive because we're all on Zoom all day long or whatever platform you're using to, to do video chat. And I'm finding that a lot of folks are, are opting for the video chat. And, you know, you're right, something that could have been an email. I'm asking people, hey, do you want to just hop on a video chat for maybe five or 10 minutes? And it turns into something a little longer but at least you're getting to see the person, you're getting to engage and connect. And it's it's been really great, actually. I mean, some of my organizations are over an hour away. And so I've now gotten so much more time back in my schedule, which is great. And it's allowing for connections with other individuals even more. Yeah, that's right. It, it frees up the time. Oh, Lauren, so many useful tips in here. And we've traversed a number of things. What are the main main points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? So while we didn't necessarily touch as much on like a board journey, but I'm very passionate about, you know, I mentioned I started in my, in my 20s. I've been doing this for a little over 10 years. By most accounts, I would be considered a, a younger director. And I would encourage people to start early. Mm. It has been so great to have these parallel paths with my career and the boardroom because one has really informed the other and vice versa. And I find that I'm a better board member because of my operating role and I'm a better employee because of my board roles. Mm -hmm. And so I would encourage folks to just don't wait. I think that it can take longer than you think and building those relationships over several years and cultivating that is really critical the worst time to network for a job is when you need a job. Same thing with a board role. The horizon needs to be very long. And so I've given myself a really long runway. So I would encourage folks that even if you're just kind of thinking about dipping your toe in, start the process, start the research, really get engaged with the board ecosystem and start developing what a plan might look like to eventually be in the boardroom. So that's, that's one big thing that I'm, I'm passionate about personally. And then I, I think maybe to harken back to an original or, you know, one of the first stories that I shared is try to be courageous in the boardroom and ask the questions that might be on everybody else's mind, but folks might not speak up. It's okay to speak up. And I learned that really early on and yeah, it was uncomfortable. And yes, I was not the most popular kid at the table, certainly by the executive directors, <laughs> probably his own, his own admission, but it needed to be said and you know people were thankful that i had brought it up that's something that i would encourage folks to to cling on to as well is is ask those tough questions and it might be a little cliche but i i think that that's really important to to do is there a resource you would like to share with the take on board community 
Oh my gosh, do you have 10 hours? I am a huge resource geek. I probably have a listing of maybe 20 different podcasts that I listen to. I'll, I'll narrow it down to one for the audience. There's one called Business Wars that I absolutely love. And it's it takes two businesses like Netflix and Blockbuster and it kind of compares and contrasts them. One that I listened to was Ferrari versus Lamborghini. And it was so interesting to hear how the businesses competed with one another um, how the CEOs managed businesses, how, you know, one would be in first and then the other one would be in first. It's just a real fascinating story of, of how businesses kind of compete and progress and grow. I would definitely check that one out. That's, that's a really good one. Fantastic. I'll make sure I put a link to that in the show notes as well. And of course, to the McKinsey article that we referred to earlier. Oh, Lauren, fantastic. Thank you so much for being here today. I know it's getting late uh, at your end. It's only middle of the day over here, but I know it's getting late at your end. So thank you so much for staying up late to record this conversation for the Take On Board community. I know people will get a huge amount out of it today. So thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation. 